go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have one with you, to Acts chapter 2. Kind of an untraditional Bible text to preach about Easter. But that's where the Lord led me. So, this morning we're taking a special look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a message I've titled, Marked by Hope. Marked by Hope. And as I thought about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which again is what we're celebrating today, and and prayed about what to share, I I thought about how Jesus' resurrection had so radically impacted, so radically marked Jesus' disciples who saw him after rising from the grave, and how their witness about the death and resurrection of Jesus has reverberated through the generations and and has marked the lives of countless people for almost 2,000 years now. But that made me think of humanity in general. See, we as people, we witness things and events and, and people throughout the course of our lives that mark us, that, that impact and change us, that stick with us and shape us. I got marked just a little bit ago by touching the exceedingly hot patio heater by accident. Things mark us. Sometimes we don't even want it to mark us, like being burned. But it happens. You know, just thinking about even the last 30 years... There there have been so many things that have marked our nation and our world. These aren't just isolated sorts of events. Things that many of us didn't witness or experience firsthand, but maybe we read about them or saw them on the news or on the internet or social media, or maybe we even knew someone who experienced those things firsthand. And so there's maybe for some of us a more personal element for us as we think about some of those things. And again, even just with the past 30 years in mind, I think about things that have shaped, marked our nation, our world. The the Los Angeles riots in the 90s. The the terrorist attacks on 9-11. All kinds of natural disasters that have devastated areas and lives over the course of those years or even... More recently, the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic in Russia invading and attacking Ukraine. The, the things that happened to us or happened around us in the world at large, what we witness often leaves a, a lasting mark on us, whether positively or negatively. And this was definitely true for the Apostle Peter and the rest of Jesus' disciples. Because not only did the earthly life and ministry of Jesus mark those who followed him, so did Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, a marking that not only stuck with and shaped Jesus' followers in the first century in Palestine, but has marked countless lives and shaped the course of history ever since. You know, we weren't there to witness the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but others were who wrote about how the death and resurrection of Jesus marked and transformed their lives. And a a marking that then marked the lives of others who heard about Jesus, who he really is, what he did, 
through their witness. And I want us to consider the resurrection account through the lens of the Apostle Peter this morning. Because the witness of Peter, whose life was marked and transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus, is a powerful witness. And we're going to see his witness to a large crowd of people on the day of Pentecost, which took place less than two months after Jesus rose from the grave. It's a, it's a witness that I pray marks us today. Let's pick up reading Peter's message in Acts chapter, tw- uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2 in verse 22. We'll put this on the screen as well. But Peter says there, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. See, Peter begins this portion of his message by putting all of the focus on Jesus Christ. These people knew who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus had done, that it was things that could not have happened apart from the power of God. So he's speaking to them about things that they could connect with and had an understanding about. But the four gospel records are filled with accounts of what Jesus did. Miracles and signs and wonders that could not be explained except that it was the power of God at work through Jesus' life. And Peter makes sure that these people and us today know that the death of Jesus was something that was actually the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, that it was God's plan for Jesus to die. See, Jesus' death wasn't some unforeseen accident. Like all of a sudden, God went, whoa, didn't see that one coming. I didn't mean for that to happen. No, it wasn't a derailing of God's plan. It was actually what God planned to happen. The reason is that the only way to fix our sin problem, sin meaning to miss the mark of perfection, of of righteousness that God had required through the old covenant system, The only way to fix that problem, that sin issue, to make us right with God, to give us access to God, to make us righteous in the eyes of God, to bring us into the family of God and make it to where we can can spend eternity with God was for Jesus, the pure and spotless Lamb of God, to die in our place. As our substitute, our wrath bearer paying for the penalty of our sin. And then conquering death. That the people who crucified Jesus less than two months earlier did not thwart 
the plan of God. They just played a part in bringing God's plan to fulfillment. But they did have a responsibility in their willful rejection and murder of Jesus. It was their lawless hands, Peter says, that took Jesus and brought him to Pilate and demanded his crucifixion when Pilate was trying to set Jesus free. But God raised Jesus up from the grave. Rose him from death because it wasn't possible, Peter says, that death could hold him or contain him. Guys, we all know how powerful death is. It's one of the certainties of life. We all try to avoid it. We all try to delay it. I mean, people do all kinds of wacky things to try to live as long as they possibly can. Because death is always at sort of the, 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 in the periphery of our vision. It's this insurmountable thing. It's this fear-inducing sort of event that we just don't know how to handle. We can never quite prepare ourselves for. And for all of us, we all would consider death as this all-powerful almost sort of thing. And yet here Peter says death was not powerful enough to hold Jesus. That means that Jesus is actually more powerful than the thing that you and I often fear the most. The thing that we want to delay. The thing that we hope that we could avoid. That Jesus defeated it. That he conquered it. That he reigned supreme over it. Jesus is more powerful than death itself. Yeah, amen. But Peter keeps going. I love Peter just, this is like the first time that we see Peter getting a chance to talk about Jesus openly since Jesus rose from the grave and then ascended back into heaven. He continues on speaking to this predominantly Jewish crowd here. He points them to their patriarch David to prophecy and then he makes sure all of it points back to Jesus and what he continues saying in verses 25 through 36 he continues on, for David says concerning him, concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I, I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption you have made known to me the ways of life you will make me full of joy in your presence men and brethren he continues saying let me speak freely to you of the patriarch david that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day therefore being a prophet and knowing that god has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the christ to sit on his throne he Foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Continuing into verse 32, he says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. 
therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, he says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter quotes two different Psalms here in Psalm 16 and then later quotes Psalm 110, basically saying, look, David prophesied about the resurrection of the Messiah. This wasn't some anomaly here that we knew nothing about. The Lord had already preserved a prophetic word about this sort of event. That the Messiah wouldn't see corruption. He wouldn't be left in Hades, the place of the dead. But you know what? David saw corruption. He didn't rise from the grave. Peter goes, look, we have his tomb with us. He's still in there. But God did make a promise to David that from his line would come the Messiah. And God made good on his promise by sending Jesus, the heir, to the throne of David. And it's Jesus' resurrection that is his seal of authenticity of all he said and did and who he really is. You know, a dead Savior is no Savior at all. But a resurrected and living Savior who has been exalted to the right hand of God is a perfect and powerful and trustworthy Savior. Peter, along with the other disciples and even over 500 brethren who Jesus appeared to in one of his post-resurrection appearances, had all witnessed Jesus in his resurrected state. See, the other psalm that David quotes is where David basically makes it clear that the Lord, Yahweh himself, called the Messiah Lord, telling him to sit at his right hand till he made his enemies his footstool, meaning that this Messiah, the Christ, was going to be God. The one that the house of Israel had crucified, this Jesus is the same one who God had made both Lord and Christ. And Peter is wanting them to understand, wanting us to understand who Jesus really is, the importance of the one who was crucified. See, Jesus wasn't some radical idealist. He wasn't just a good teacher or a miracle worker, a compassionate do-gooder, a great rabbi. Wasn't one of many prophets. No, the one they crucified is Lord and Christ. He is Messiah. He is God in human flesh. He is the Savior of the world who rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of of the Father. Peter's making it clear that no greater crime could ever have been committed. But at the same time, he's leading them and and us to a place where they and we will see that Jesus' death upon the cross 
is where we're going to find life and hope and salvation and forgiveness. That the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Jesus is the only one who can save us. And that he wants to save us. See, the gospel is really good news, and it's especially good news in light of how bad the bad news is. The bad news is that we are sinners. That's pretty bad news. And our sin is what put Jesus on that Roman cross almost 2,000 years ago. It's our sin that has separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, the Bible tells us, is death. It's eternal punishment in hell. That's really bad news. See, the reality for every person born into this world is that sin has marked us. Because we are all born in sin. And the fact, the Bible tells us that we are born dead in our sin and trespasses. Spiritually dead. You know, you don't have to teach a child to be rebellious. You don't have to teach them how to disobey. Some of you are teachers and parents. And you're like wanting to amen me right now, but you feel bad at the same time. No, you can amen me. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You don't have to teach them how to say no to you. It's like one of the first things that they learn to say, those little sinners. We love them. But they're sinners just like me and you. No, guys, sin has marked every single one of us, and we have no power in ourselves to remove that mark and neither does anyone else except for Jesus Christ see the good news is that Jesus came to die so that he could save us he took our sin and our guilt and our shame on that cross he paid the penalty for our sin with his blood in order to redeem us, to purchase us for himself and set us free and give us life. And if you've never received Jesus' free gift of salvation, I'm going to give you an invitation to do that in just a little bit. But I want us to finish Peter's this part of Peter's message this morning. Peter continues giving a chance for response to this crowd in verse 37 it says now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do and peter said to them repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins or on because of the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. See, the witness of Peter here, his message cut them to their very core, cut through all their pride to where they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What shall 
we do? This question is one coming from a place of complete humility and a desire to surrender to the Lord. They realized that they were in need and wanted to know what they could do to make things right. And maybe you are in a similar spot today. Maybe you're wondering as you hear all this how to make things right as you're confronted with who Jesus is, as you're confronted with your own sinfulness, when you're confronted with the truth of God's Word and and the reality of death and what's going to happen after you die. Notice how Peter responds to their question. He didn't say, you know what? Just be kind to others. Just be a good person. He didn't say, you know what? You got to start living by all these rules. You got to jump through all these hoops. I got a 20 point program for you to try and follow. No, he just said, repent. And please hear me this morning. Repentance is not a dirty word. There are many who have made it that. Repentance is a beautiful word. Repentance speaks of a change of thinking that leads to a change of direction. It's a change of thinking that leads to a change of direction. Repentance was what Jesus preached. It's what Jesus told his disciples that they were to preach. And now, when given the opportunity to point people to the crucified and resurrected Jesus, Peter says, there is forgiveness of sins available. That the gift of the Holy Spirit is for them. But that they had to repent. They had to turn away from sin and turn towards Jesus by faith. And this is true for us as much as it was true for them. Understand there is no salvation and forgiveness of sins without repentance. Not only were these people being promised the forgiveness of sins through repentance, they were also promised the gift of the Holy Spirit, a promise that was for them and their children and to all who are afar off. This was both Jew and Gentile and extended to every generation to follow, which, which reaches all the way to you and me today, as many as the Lord our God will call. Guys, no one is excluded here. This promise is for everyone. The call and desire of God is for every person to repent and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, to receive His forgiveness and the gift of His Holy Spirit so that no person would perish, but that all would find salvation in Jesus. But this invitation must be acted upon. It's not enough to know about this promise. You must receive it personally. And I want to show you one last passage that really drives this all home, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that because of his resurrection, we are able to have hope and be marked by hope. Check out what Peter wrote about 30 years after this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Peter said, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All of what we've looked at this morning, everything that Jesus went through was because of the abundant love and mercy of God toward us and for us. We're we're able to have this living hope, this real hope, this confident hope because we have a risen and living and faithful Savior named Jesus But that hope and that inheritance and that reservation in heaven is only for those who receive Jesus' free gift of salvation by grace through faith. Here's the beauty of the gospel, the good news. It's not about what we can do. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about how good or bad that we think that we have been or think that we are. None of those things are what's going to get us into heaven. It's not how a person is saved. It's not how we find acceptance in the eyes of God. No, the gospel, the good news, is all about what Jesus has done for us. Salvation, eternal life, a personal relationship with Jesus isn't something we gain if we're good enough. No, it's something that's given to those who humble themselves, that confess that they're sinners in need of a Savior, and who repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know what kinds of things have happened to you or happened around you that have left their mark on you, that have stuck with you and shaped you, maybe even scarred and hurt you. But the mark that you don't have to live with moving forward if you'll repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ is the mark left on your soul from not yet being saved and washed and cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus which he shed for you and for me. Guys, because Jesus is alive, You and I can have a living hope and be marked by that hope. And that hope is Jesus. Let me tell you today that Jesus has never gone back on his word, never failed his word, never not made good on one of his promises. And his resurrection is one of those promises. It's what makes every promise he made true for you and for me. And it's because he is alive That we can have hope today because he has risen. We can trust that he will make good on his promises toward us in this life and for eternity. But I want to ask this morning, where are you at? I'm going to have the worship team come back up. You know, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus 
Whenever the Bible talks about salvation, it never talks about it for the person to receive it as something like to be delayed another time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. Why? Because you're not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised another second. Don't wait any longer. He's calling you to come to Him maybe for the first time and you need to respond by repenting of your sin. Again, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction that you would turn away from your sin which is pulling you away from God and that you would turn fully in faith toward Jesus. The Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we will believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. There's a promise. You'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. You'll be given the righteousness of Jesus. The Bible tells us you will become a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the old things will pass away and all things will become new for you. And if that's you this morning and you need to make that decision, you've never repented of your sin, you've never turned in faith to Jesus, and maybe this morning you're saying, what can I do? You can stand. You can stand where you're at to say, that's me. And I want to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I want to open my heart. You know what it's like to open your heart to somebody. We know what it's like to close our hearts to people. Shut down, keep people out. That Jesus is pursuing after each one of us this morning. His offer of salvation is being extended this morning. Why would we say no? If that's you, would you stand so I can pray for you this morning? Anyone at all this morning, that's you. I know it can be intimidating. But Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father and all of the holy angels. Is that anybody today? Maybe this is not a first-time decision for you, but maybe for you, you're going to look like, I'm more in that prodigal category. I've been doing my own thing. Maybe you've been living a Christianity of your own making, following a Jesus that you've built up in your mind that doesn't exactly match the Jesus of Scripture. It's a Jesus that's on board with ever with whatever it is that you want Him to be on board with. And this morning, Jesus is saying, come home. And maybe for you, there's a recommitment that's needing to be made today. If that's you, would you stand where you're at? Anyone at all? That even as what I've shared this morning, you're going, look, that's, that's me. That's me. 
the Lord has been pulling on your heart this morning. Yeah. And you know that there's something that the Lord's going, look, like, you've been off. Come back. Is there anyone else this morning? Yeah. Awesome. Guys, this is your chance. Don't let it pass you. If Jesus is speaking something into your heart, don't let this moment go by. Those moments that you let go by only serve to harden you more to the voice of the Lord. Awesome. Well, let's pray for these that have stood this morning. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you didn't stay in that tomb. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that death could not contain you. It couldn't hold you back. That Jesus, you are more powerful than death. That Jesus, even now, you are at the right hand of the Father. You're seated at the position of honor. And we have a living and resurrected King whose kingdom will never end, whose kingdom is perfect with the King loves us so powerfully that he gave his life to show us how much he loves us and wants us. But Jesus, I thank you for these that have stood this morning. Maybe some online even who maybe have stood in living rooms knowing that that's them this morning, that they needed to make that decision for Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time maybe as a recommitment I just encourage you in your own heart just to say Jesus forgive me Lord Jesus I surrender once again to you Jesus I return to you this morning Jesus that you would be Lord of every part of my life that, Lord, I wouldn't be God in my life, but that you would be. Jesus, would you cleanse me? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? Would you restore that right fellowship with the Father? And would you fill me with your spirit today and empower me to live for you? you. The Lord wants to meet you this morning. And even as we sing these songs of praise, take of the communion elements this morning as everything else kind of goes on throughout the course of our morning. Lord, that we would keep you, Jesus, in the front of our minds. Be a people who rejoice because of the reality of the resurrection. Lord, make us a people today and moving forward who are marked by the hope of Jesus. And Lord, would that mark the lives of others as well, Lord, as we share you with others. We thank you, Father. We commit our morning to you in this time still as we praise you, to you, in Jesus' name.